Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards, and you're going to church with Impact Cyber Church, people all over the world. Man, I'm telling you what, we have been talking about how uh, to stop the pain. I don't know about you, but I mean, just, just how much of your life is wasted? How much of your time is wasted when you get bogged down with so, some kind of conflict you've had with somebody? And it's just kind of, it's just kind of consuming your emotions. And, and sometimes it's hard to concentrate. Sometimes you just can't even concentrate. Well, I'll tell you something, that's what the Bible calls an offense. When something affects us in such a way that it starts causing us to stumble. And, and you know, that stumbling is not just stumbling into sin, not just stumbling into doing something wrong, <clears throat> but anything that makes us stumble at the quality of life, emotional life, as well as physical life, that God has promised us through the Lord Jesus. And so... I'm, from my perspective, and this is from, like I say, and I say, I say this quite often, I don't, I don't mean to, to sound unreasonable about it, but you know, I've got nearly a half century of ministering to people and a whole lot of one-on-one. -on -one. And you know, the kind of people that I ministered to most of my life were people that had deep, serious problems. And and you have to find ways to help them solve those problems. You know, I, I found out decades ago, and I understood this. As a matter of fact, way back in the 70s, I was sitting in a church meeting, and a man came up, and he was an alcoholic. And uh, I think they called me forward to, to pray for him. And when I walked up to pray for him, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, the alcoholic really doesn't crave alcohol. They crave my presence. And man, I, I understood something. I understood that addiction, you know, and I, of course I understand a lot more about it now, but I understood that that addiction was trying to meet a need that could only be met in God. And you had this deep craving. And so you use something to fill this up. This was, you know, when I was just a, a young man and really inexperienced in ministry. But, but, but I found out later as time went by that almost any destructive thing that a person was doing really came out of pain that was going on in their life. And they were trying to find some way to avoid the pain, cover up the pain, uh, uh, ignore the pain. And so I've watched over the years how people get an offense. And, re and remember, if you've been watching this broadcast for the last six weeks, you know this, or last five weeks, you know this, an offense isn't just when somebody hurts your feelings. And an offense doesn't even mean the other person intended to bring any pain in your life. The offense is whatever this feeling, these thoughts, these emotions are inside you that make you stumble at life, stumble at the quality of life, stumble in your relationships and friendships, stumble in any, anything that affects your quality of life. And so, you know, we've been talking to you the last several weeks about how to deal with 
offenses when they come. And, you know, we've talked about the whole concept of you can send this offense away. Now, you know, some people say, well, I tried it and it didn't work. Well, I'll tell you what you do. Every time, if you have an offense, if you have an attitude, if you have a hurt towards somebody, every time that comes to you, you have to stop, stop it. You have to just say, no, I'm, I don't receive you. You're not from God. I choose to send you away. Leave me right now. And then you've got to put on what you want to put on. I choose to have the peace of God. I choose to believe that God will lead me in how to resolve this conflict. I, I, I choose to accept the healing of God into my heart. I mean, you've got to make these choices. But, and, and you know, in, in, our, in my book, How to Stop the Pain, and, and you know, I'm not just doing an ad here. You know, sometimes people say, well, well why do you do these ads about other stuff? Well, I'll tell you why. Is because you can only go into so much into, in a program like this. And, um, and people who are seriously pursuing more, we have other tools and resources for people who want to get beyond what we're able to cover in, in these broadcasts. And you know, I have a book called How to Stop the Pain. I'm telling you, psychologists, not just Christian psychologists, but even secular psychologists all over America use this book. Churches all over America use this book. Uh, and so we've got the book. We've got an eight CD or if you purchase CDs or you get an MP3, eight messages on here. We're talking about six and a half or seven hours of practical application about how to put this stuff into practice. But man, if you really, if you really, really, really want to go beyond, and, and I mean, be coached through how to put it into practice, then you can become a part of Impact Unlimited. And I'll tell you, you can start off your new year by getting rid of the pain that all of these years has affected you. So, you know, you go as deep as you want to go. We got these out here for free every single week, teaching you, equipping you, and helping you. And you can go as deep and as far as you want to go and find the resources that you need. So there it is. Now, listen, we've been talking about how to deal with the pain that you already have, but I want to talk about avoiding future pain. You know, we, we, last week we left off with the quote, you know, an ounce of prevention is, is better than a pound of cure or worth a pound of cure. And so I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about prevention. I'm going to share, I'm going to refer to one of the scriptures that I have probably used more than almost any scripture uh, that, I, that I've ever used. It's from the book of Proverbs, the fourth chapter, where it says, guard your heart. I think it's verse 22 or 23. It says, guard your heart. One translation says, I think the King James says, with all diligence, for out of it flows all of the issues of life. Every issue, every factor relating to your life flows out of your heart. There is nearly nothing out there unless somebody is physically restraining you, then there's really nothing out there that is really limiting your life. Everything that's limiting my life is because of what I believe in my heart about me and what I believe in my heart about God. Now that's pretty phenomenal. And that means the great thing, somebody say, are you saying it's all my fault? No, I'm just saying that you're the one that can do something about it. You're the one that can change the limitations of your life. You're the one that can deal with every issue of your life and change how it flows out of your heart. Therefore, how it affects your physical health, your emotional health, your relationships, your job, your finances. Every aspect of your life can be influenced by dealing with the, the beliefs of your heart. You know, one translation says, guard your heart uh, uh, with all diligence. One translation says, guard your heart above all that you keep. 
So you start understanding, if I don't know how to guard my heart, if I don't know how to be diligent about guarding my heart, then, then the truth is my life is not going to be a, a, a continual journey of, of where I am to getting better and better and better and better. It's going to be move forward a little bit, get hurt, get discouraged. Uh, pick myself up, move forward a little bit, get hurt, get discouraged. And it's just going to be a cycle of up and, up and down hurts, pains, defeats, discouragement, and trying to recover. I don't know about you. I don't want to keep trying to recover from the same conflicts that I had when I was 20 years old. I don't want to keep getting hurt uh, by anybody as far as that goes. I want my heart to be whole. I want my heart to be healthy. And, and I am going to guard my heart. You know that word diligence, guard your heart with all diligence. It, it's, of course, it obviously means to guard, but it's talking about guarding in a good sense so that you can protect it and maintain it uh, uh, so that you can kind of watch over it and keep it and, and preserve it and protect it from danger. And, and it's, it's really talking about being a watchman. Now, it's interesting, the Hebrew word where it talks about guard your heart with all vigilance or all diligence, it's spelled, and remember, in the Hebrew language, uh, anytime you're translating the Hebrew language, you go to the root word and you look up the meanings of each letter in the word. And I'm not going to go into the full concept, but that word there where it talks about guarding your heart with all diligence, it, 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 the first letter is noon. And the noon is really, it's really interesting. The noon, of course, is a, is a person who has humbled themselves. It's a picture, uh, it's a picture of, of somebody who has, who, who has kind of, they're bowing down and they're, they're presenting themselves to God. But it's really also interesting that the noon represents a fish. And one of the things about the fish is the fish just flows through the river. It is flexible. The fish, you know, just swims around the obstacles and keeps going. The fish is not rigid. The fish, the fish just flows. So, so, you know, from this, I've got to be humble. But in my humility, that means I have got to be flexible and adaptable. I have got to be open with God. I'm not humbling myself just to try to be humble. I'm humbling myself before God. I'm so, I'm 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 always ready to surrender my opinion, my view, how I see things, how I think about things to God. And then the next letter is the Tzed. And this, this letter has to do, like for example, the word Jehovah, my righteousness begins with, the, with this letter. It has a T-S sound to it. And, and this has to do with godliness. This has to do with giving yourself to righteousness, which I, which I really find interesting because in the New Testament, the breastplate of righteousness is what protects your heart. Now, don't jump off into a bunch of legalistic concepts about righteousness and don't, don't get a one-dimensional concept of, okay, so, so this means I got to do everything right. Well, no, really, righteousness in my heart says I am as I should be in the Lord. I can, you know, I can yield to how God would handle this. I can yield to how Jesus would handle this. And then, then the last uh, letter there is the word is the letter resh, and the word resh represents that you know that flexibility and that commitment to how how it could be or how it should be since I'm in Jesus. It's, it represents repentance or change. It says you know what oh. 
when, when I see the way of righteousness, when I see the, the path of life, when I see the wisdom of God, I am ready to turn on a dime in, in how I'm seeing this. And, and then ultimately that, that gets out into my, my behavior. So, so I'm humble. I'm flexible. I yield to God's direction. I, I submit to the right and look for the righteousness of God. And then I adjust accordingly. Very few people live in a vigilant state of prevention concerning their heart. As a matter of fact, very few people live in a state of prevention about anything. You know, the common, the common saying uh, all across America today is, is that uh, uh, forgiveness is easier than permission. Well, that's kind of, we kind of take that and say that, okay, uh, 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 getting out of the pain uh, later is, is, uh, is okay as long as I have the fun now. Well, we're talking, about, we're talking about guarding your heart here specifically as it relates to judgment. Because remember, nothing has the ability to continue to bring torment and suffering and pain and stumbling into your heart. Uh, 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 nothing can go on. Nothing, nothing can do, can affect you beyond the significance that you attach to it. The significance that you attach to it is when you try to determine why someone does what they do. See, when you determine why this, is why, this is why they didn't speak to me. Oh, this is why they didn't say this. Or this is why they said this this way. I know, I know why they did it. So really what you're saying is you know their heart. So, so you're determining good and evil. You're determining whether what that person did, they meant for harm, they meant for bad, they meant for good, because you know why they did it. And, and Jesus taught very clearly that when you pass a judgment, that determines how that other person's actions affect you. It is not their actions per se that affect you. It is the significance that you attach to those actions. And so, you know, we, we've covered that. So there's a dark hole, a black syndrome uh, uh, that, that begins in the, through what we call sowing and reaping. And it ultimately never ends uh, you know, and it starts out uh, really until it destroys you. And it starts out with a judgment, which grows into an offense. And then I got to justify uh, 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 my situation. I got to make myself right in, in my situation. And, and so I'm giving myself then to sin because I'm justifying being angry. I'm justifying my pouting. I'm justifying feeling like a victim and acting like a victim. Just, well, then my heart hardens. And because of this seed and seed is information. Seed is, is a, any word, so to speak, but basically it gets down to more than just being a literal word as much as it gets down to information. And so whatever I'm thinking about, whatever I'm listening to, even if I'm just listening to it in my own head, becomes a seed that gets planted in the soil of my heart. And every seed bears after its own kind. And so the crop that's going to grow up out of my judgment is always going to be a bad crop. It's always going to be something that is going to take me into more pain and more destruction. And the bad thing is I can read the word, I can meditate on the word, but if I keep planting seeds of pain and anger and distrust and, and judgment into my heart, they choke the word out. They choke the seed out. And so all I'm going to get is a harvest. And once that harvest of bad stuff happens, I'm probably going to pass a judgment on God and on myself. And, and bam, the whole cycle is going to start over again.
But let's look a little closer at how this actually happens. See, judgment usually starts with projection. I think you do what you do for the same reasons I do what I do. So let me just show you kind of what this might look like in real life. So, you know, everyone has a personal behavior pattern. One of the things that, that I train people in is how to identify their own behavior patterns and the behavior patterns of others so that you can understand how to more effectively communicate because behavior patterns reveal how we want to communicate with others and how we want them to communicate with us. Now, people incorrectly call behavior patterns personality patterns, which is not what we're talking about. Uh, but now, in one particular behavioral profile, the four core behavioral styles are identified by the acronym DISC, D-I-S-C. And so in the DISC profile, you, you identify these four core traits and, every, and then they combine and everybody has some degree of, uh, of all of these traits. Now, this is not who you are. This is how you have learned to function in life, to communicate in life, to behave in life in order to have the best possible outcome or sometimes ju just to survive. So <clears throat> the disc patterns, again, they help us to understand first of all how we communicate and like I say, what kind of communication we prefer. For example, I like simple, straightforward, direct communications. You know, I don't want somebody come to me and, and, and when, when they're reporting to me about something, I don't want a whole bunch of fluff around it. We can talk about the fluff later. I just give me the bottom line. What happened? You know, I've noticed this in managing people and I've, you know, I've had my own, I have been in business for myself since I was 14 years old. That was a long, long time ago. And, and one of the things I've noticed when I would try to get reporting from people like what happened, very seldom did people ever actually tell me what happened when there was a problem. What they would tell me is they would tell me how they felt about what happened. In other words, he was mean to me. Da, da. Now, I don't, I don't want to know any of that. What I want to know is, what did that person say? Exactly what did they say? Well, it was mean. It was hateful. No, I want to know what he said. So it's hard to get people to convey facts. People tend to want to convey you know, their emotions or their interpretation or their judgments. So like, I, give me the bottom line and then we can discuss all that later, but I got to start with the bottom line. You know, our behavior pattern determines how we perceive the world around us and what we think we must do to be accepted and safe in, in this world. So usually our behavior patterns are how we learn to emotionally survive as children. For example, children who are raised by very do dominating parents and, and controlling parents, these children usually, as often as not, will, will grow up to be perfectionists because they have parents that are always on them and it seems like they're never doing anything right. So their biggest goal in life becomes to do it right. And these are the people, man, they're detail-oriented and, and they, they don't want to run the risk of doing something wrong. So they're going to want to make sure that, that, that you give them the instructions they need and, uh, and, and they're going to follow your instructions literally to the letter sometimes, even if they know it's not the right thing, but it's what you said that you want it and they got to be right. And so, you know, there it goes. So, 
you know, people develop all kinds of all kinds of tendencies. And so, you know, they think things doing things right will keep them out of trouble. And then they become obsessive about what they think is right. Now, let's take a little very brief. That's just one example. But let's just take a very brief look at how some of these people would interact and project. Now, remember, we talked about projection because projection is when you assume that a person does something for the same reason you do something. So, for example, if you're what they would call an inspirational pattern. This is more of a people person. You know, this is your person that, that you see that, man, they, you know, they're having, they like to have fun. Their, their emotions are kind of up or down, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, you know, you can usually spot them. Some of the ones more extreme wear really bright colored clothes or really fashion conscious. And really that person more than anything just wants to be liked. Again, that can sometimes be the, the product of critical or dominating parents. So where they're, they're desperate to find people that, like, you know, that will like them and, and, and give them approval. So, uh, so the I might think, this inspirational person might think, oh, well, you know, if, if you're direct, you're, you're being hateful because I'm only direct when I'm being hateful. So you could just walk up to somebody and just say something straight out, and that person might get offended because they're projected onto you a judgment that says, I only speak directly and bottom line when I'm mad or upset, so you are obviously mad or upset. That's why you spoke that way. Well, no, not necessarily. But that person then is going to be carrying around an offense and may lose a friend and may have conflict. All kinds of things could happen. So you got your D, which is your direct Bottom line, they're driven by purpose, they're task-oriented, and, they, and they, they want to be respected. And they tend, can tend to use force if they get on the negative side. Remember, there's no right or wrong behavior pattern. There's no good or bad behavior pattern. It's just your character determines if you walk in the strengths or the weaknesses of your behavior pattern. And again, the I is an inspirational pattern. This is a real people-oriented person. They're easily inspired. They're easily... Uh, uh, discouraged, very open, very usually very talkative. They'll, they'll tell you almost anything about themselves. Then there's what we call the S, which is the more steady. This is a person that, that doesn't like a lot of change, doesn't like a lot of surprises. They like standard operating procedure. They want to feel safe. They're very private. By the way, the I's, like I say, are people-oriented. The D's are more task-oriented. But uh, So the S's, they're private, but they're people-oriented. But unlike the I, they don't want to be involved with a whole lot of people. That would seem disingenuous. They, they usually have a smaller circle of friends. And uh, <clears throat> uh, like I say, even though they're, they're people-oriented, it's a small circle. They tend to hold things in. They don't tend to share things openly, you know, you know very much. And again... Uh, so we've got a D that's task-oriented, we've got an I that's people-oriented, we've got an S that's people-oriented. Then you've got your C. Your C is, is like your quality control, conscientious, detail-oriented person uh, that tends toward perfectionism, very conservative in dress and mannerisms, and, and, and the C is task-oriented. So to the, to the I and the S, Ds and Cs, seem like mean people because they're not people-oriented. To the D and the C, I's and S's seem wishy-washy because you, can't, you don't feel like you can get them to nail down to the task. Now, none of those things are true. Those are just judgments that we make about each other. So here's a good example. Now, D's, 
man, they like a big personal boundary. They don't want you getting too close into their space. So, so if a D gets close enough to you to make physical contact, it means something. Now they may have, you know, you can't pass a judgment again here, but, but they may have learned, you know, I need, to, I need to get a little more personable and they may go out of their way sometimes to take somebody's arm. But you know, by and large, with the, if a D makes physical contact, unless it's a skill that they've developed, they're usually saying, I, I want to get closer to you. I want to, I want to connect with you. Well, now eyes touch people when they talk to them and they come up and hug them and shake hands with them and they'll touch their face when they're talking to them and they'll call them sweetie and baby and honey and all that kind of stuff. So the D is looking at that eye making that physical contact and he's saying, well, you know what? Uh, if I touch you, I'm trying to have sex with you. So obviously, this person is immoral. This person is on the make because if I was doing that, that's what I would be. Well, you know what? That's, that's not, that's just not the way it is. You know, I, I, I'll always tell this story. We've only got a few minutes left, but I want you to see how you project and pass judgments on, on one another. Let, let, let's say, let's say that you want to borrow Bob's lawnmower and let's say that Bob is a D and let's say that you're more of an S. You're people-oriented, Bob's task-oriented, and so you're really concerned about people's feelings and you don't want conflict. So you hadn't talked to Bob in a while and you call Bob up and you want to be polite, so you don't want to insult him. So you're like, hey, Bob, how you doing, man? And Bob's like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Joe? Well, man, I'll tell you, things are, things are really going good. And uh, so how's Betty doing? Uh, well, 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 you know, you know, Betty's doing good. Well, I hadn't seen you guys. And so Bob starts thinking, why is he asking about it? What is it he really wants? And, and Joe just keeps on like, well, you know, kids doing good, work going good, da, da, da. And, and eventually he says, well, listen, can I borrow your lawnmower? Joe's like, yeah. I mean, Bob's like, yeah, you should just ask to start with. Come on over and get it. Well, see, Bob now is feeling manipulated because Joe was doing all this personal stuff and talking to him. And Bob's like, he didn't care about my family. He just want, he just, he just want to make sure I'd loan him a lawnmower. Well, Bob is wrong because Joe did what he did to be courteous, but he was being courteous based on what would make him feel good. So you flip that around and let's say Bob calls Joe and wants to borrow the lawnmower. And Bob hadn't seen Joe for a while. He calls Bob and Bob is just thinking, you know what? I'm invading his personal time. I'm taking up his time. I don't want to waste his time. And so Bob is just going to go straight to the bottom line and say, hey, Joe, how you doing, man? Uh, listen, can I borrow your lawnmower? Uh, well, yeah, but then Joe's going to be offended. Can you imagine? Bob called me up. He didn't ask how I was doing, didn't ask how, how Martha was doing, didn't ask how the kids was doing. He just called me up. I mean, totally impersonal, wanted to borrow my lawnmower. Well, in both of those scenarios, Bob did what he did to be courteous and to be respectful. And if Joe had started talking, Bob would have probably talked to him after they got past the bottom line. But he was being courteous. Joe projected onto him and passed a judgment and said, no, you're not being courteous. Same thing happened when Joe called Bob. Listen, I'll tell you something. We have to understand that prevention is the wisest and most biblical process for avoiding pain. It is the antidote. And that means that in any situation, no matter what's going on, I can't judge, I can't assume, I can't, I can't do anything but ask questions if I have those feelings. 
or I can dismiss those feelings. You know, I can just ask a person, are you upset with me? It just kind of seemed like, you know, for a minute there, I thought you were upset with me. Most of the time, you'll find out, no, they're not. So if I, if I want to, I can't go to judgment. If I go to judgment, I start down that rabbit hole of pain. So this means I, I, I can't assume, I can't judge, I can't project, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can ask questions. People, a lot of people are like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable asking those questions. Well, if you're uncomfortable asking those questions, uh, you got to ask yourself this question. Am I going to be more comfortable having an offense that affects my quality of life? Listen, we're going to go deeper in this next week. Don't forget, be back here with me. And be sure, if you're watching on YouTube, to, to become a part of following us on YouTube because you'll help us reach people all over the world. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.